Um, here are some protective factors, which we all love um, in the heart attack um, column, which is exercise, um, a really healthy diet, high HDL specifically, and better stress management. I think that's important for everyone. And the protective factors for suicide is really connectivity um, and really being able to have the mental health piece taken care of, um, having accessibility to that for a health professional, and then being able to cope well. Welcome to the Plant-Based DFW Podcast Weekly Show with Dr. Riz and Maya, a show broadcasted from the Dallas-Fort Worth area that focuses on lifestyle medicine. This is the use of evidence-based lifestyle therapeutic approaches, such as a whole food plant-based diet, regular physical exercise, adequate sleep, and stress management to treat, prevent, and oftentimes reverse lifestyle-related chronic diseases that are all too prevalent. Every week, they feature a guest who speaks on one of these lifestyle medicine pillars. This show is for you, the person who is seeking to improve your overall wellness and quality of life. So whether you are driving, walking, or relaxing at home, we hope this show will provide you one more tool for your wellness toolbox. Let's meet today's podcast guest. Dr. Melissa Mandela is a holistic plant-based physician, nutrition and wellness expert, health coach, mental health advocate, and recipe inventor. She has been featured in popular media such as Forbes, local news outlets, and social media. She helps clients improve their lifestyle to optimize their health and achieve their goals and develop sustainable habits to live a healthy and balanced life. Dr. Mandela is a triple specialist in family medicine, lifestyle medicine, and primary care psychiatry. She is one of the first and youngest nationally recognized lifestyle medicine fellows and is a strong community health advocate. She is a co-founder of Dr. Lifestyle Clinic. She's extremely passionate about the science of human nutrition and is always up to date with the latest research theories and practices. Most importantly, she uses that knowledge to make individualized recommendations for her clients. You may recall that her husband was recently on our show, Dr. Micah Yu, who spoke with us about autoimmune disease. If you missed that talk, please visit episode 108. For this episode, we asked Dr. Mandela to share her presentation titled Good Food Moods, which covers mental health. You may want to grab a notepad and pen to take notes because this conversation will be very detailed. You can also visit uh, the website for this conversation at plantbaseddfwpodcast.com forward slash 111 to view the YouTube video version um, if you'd like to see the slideshow, but it's a pretty good uh, conversation to listen to. It'll be easy, I promise. <laughs> After the presentation, Dr. Riz and I asked a handful of questions, so make sure that you listen to the end, and I will also be offering some closing thoughts. Also, I always want to be sensitive about topics that may trigger some listeners. Dr. Mandela will talk about the double pandemic with depression affecting 350 million people worldwide. Depression is the leading cause of disability and the second most common cause of death for teens between the ages of 15 to 17 years old. We will talk about the prevalence of depression, the diagnosis, warning signs, treatment, and recovery. Dr. Mandela says that the best cure is prevention. Our goal is to offer you an understanding of depression. However, there is hope. Dr. Mandela will talk about things that we can do to reduce our prevalence um, or our risk for depression. 
things like foods that are rich in folate and magnesium and zinc, and also stress management and exercise. As always, I will include the links for our guests in the show notes. Dr. Mandala is also offering a discounted guide and a plant-based cookbook for our listeners. So again, make sure that you check for those links. Finally, remember that the Lifestyle Medicine Conference is going to take place in Grand Prairie, Texas, November 7th through the 11th at the Gaylord Hotel. The website is lmconference.com. And as always, thanks for listening. Let's welcome Dr. Melissa Mandela. Thank you so much. Thank you both Maya and Dr. Riz. It's been a pleasure to connect once again during this pandemic, but most important to talk about things that are very relevant during this um, 2021. People tell you all the time you're so young and yet you're so equipped in many areas that we, we're not used to seeing in our physicians. So can we talk about why it's important for you to return to this field or to add to the field of mental health. Your undergraduate degree was actually in psychology before you moved on to your degree in medicine. And now you've returned and you've done another fellowship in psychiatry. Yes. No, thank you so much. I think it's it's an honor to just be in the midst of a lifestyle medicine community and plant-based community. I, I never like to get the full credit. I think it just always has to deal with people who um, shared their personal stories of how plant-based eating changed their life. Literally, it's made them healthier. It's dropped the weight. They got rid of diabetes, cholesterol. Um, it's helped with their mood and their energy and also gave them more purpose and meaning. Um, and I think that's what really made it um, so real to me. And yes, um, I, you know, I've trained at Melinda and I've seen people who live in the blue zones who live till they're almost 100 and they're like either disease free or not on many medications or at any medications to see them lead um, workout classes and be with their family and make memories just gives me joy. And I, I knew that, you know, psychology is amazing because I, I love studying human behavior and how we connect with other people, how to establish healthy relationships and really um, be, be present. And so I, I enjoy that. Um, and then when I studied more and more, I felt medicine on, t- you know, science medicine, it's all one, I would say, avenue and a f- it flows all together. You know, it's not, I, I don't think it's very isolated in terms of that's the field of psychology and that's the field of science. I think just like the microbiome, right? It's everything's connected. Immune health, gut health, um, mental health, you can't um, tease one out of the other. And so it's just, you know, when, when people say you're young and everything, it's really because, you know, when you, you when, just like, you know, when you, when you find a key and you open that door, you just keep going. You want to, you want more and more um, to understand not only the science, but how it can change change lives. Um, And I think um, going back to family, I I see all ages and that just helps me um, bring in lifestyle medicine to life and starting early and not leaving out any age and then um, adding to psychology and essentially psychiatry to really study the not just human behaviors, but mood disorders. Um, And knowing that there's, you know, these are, there's a tendency of normalcy and maybe our mood, but there's also a tendency where we need to um, address these mood disorders before it gets too severe. 
And we're very moody nowadays as a society, <laughs> yeah. it seems like. <laughs> That's so true, right? Yeah. yeah. Throw out any topic and there's so div so much division. So I can't wait for you to tell us a little bit more about um, what we can do to kind of alleviate some of yeah. those. I mean, the uh, the social isolation, you know, has, has certainly contributed to a certain mood in our society, too. And I think people are starting to realize, uh, you know, the sense of separation and how much we miss getting back together and, uh, you know, uh, I guess that's, what do they call it? COVID fever? Is that when, when people are just, uh, you know, they just are t tired of being <laughs> cooped up and they want to get out and get back together and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll learn a little bit about how you yourself had IBS and you kind of learned about plant-based nutrition along with lifestyle medicine and you've made some real improvements in your health. And then, of course, you taught your husband as well. Thank you. Yeah, I'll be happy to share. Um, so I can start the presentation just so that you can get to know a little bit about my story. And, and I think every story is a, a place where we can maybe see ourselves um, and where we can relate. And that's why I share my story, you know, um, because it always, it takes one person in someone's life to really see how real this is and how it can change your life. And so I'm going to share my screen real quick. So I'm going to talk about good food moods. And really, it's important because we're all craving to have a happier mood um, during these times. And you know, this mood issue is, it actually develops at a very young age, we're getting earlier signs of depression and anxiety from children um, that just go undetected, and then it gets worse in their teens and their 20s. And, and then it impacts their life and impacts their work and their family life and how they build relationships. So that's why I wanted to talk about good food moods and mental health. Um, but just a little bit about me is that I'm, as uh, you all know, that I'm family and lifestyle boarded here and trained in Loma Linda. And I, I've just seen a, a variety of patients who they they kind of know already how to eat healthier, how to and engage in a better lifestyle, but they get stuck. Um, sometimes they get stuck because they are not addressing their causes of their mood, um, the, the depression and anxiety, and they're quite overwhelmed. And sometimes it's because of misfortune events or stressful events that really um, had them um, maybe not adapt to a new lifestyle. And sometimes people feel fearful or paralyzed in those moments. But, you know, I, I really wanted to connect um, how we can really get the mental health as the big piece and, and even a central part of why and how we get healthier. So just a bit about my story here is that you know, um, during my medical training, and I would say even before then, I just in when I was in my teens and 20s, I just noticed my gut health was just very messed up. I didn't know what to call it. I just knew with any stressful uh, event, um, I got loose stools, I got um, stomach aches and cramping, and it was just beyond butterflies. You know, some people get anxiety, and they feel like their chest is palpitating, they feel like um, their hands are sweaty. But it, you know, the my digestive tract was really um, 
sensitive to what was going around me and I didn't know how to cope healthy um, at that age and no one really teaches you really to cope um, healthy in when you deal with stress you know you go to school you have you, you have great family and friends but still it's it's not those topics that you um, talk about at the dinner table and maybe not until things go wrong you talk about your mental health or your I maybe your digestive issues and so I had IBS um, and I didn't know it but um, in my 20s I finally got got to that point where it, it became clear with the doctors I was seeing. And so I've tried different medications and, you know, I, I would cope, I would self cope with food. <laughs> um, I think we all have this relationship with food, good food or bad food. We just love it because it's pleasurable. It's tasteful. And it boosts our mood. And, you know, there, are, there is some function and reality to it. But then when you have a negative um, relationship with food um, and when your body's eating unhealthy products, which I did, all processed food, all the animal products. I lived in Chicago, too. And so I ate all the barbecue hot dogs and my health just kept declining. And I was very unhappy. I was not performing as good as I should have in medical school. And I just, my performance, my, I, I would say my focus, focus was off. Um, but then I discovered through the years, you know, as I started eliminating the processed foods and started eliminating the animal products and dairy, you know, I became more pescatarian and Mediterranean. And so I got some improvement there. I started to exercise quite frequently, um, doing 5Ks and 10Ks, and that was a bit better. But I would say when I turned fully plant-based um, during my residencies, when I found the most long-lasting change, and that was when, you know, my gut, my acne, my, my mood was just... Um, elevated it was I felt so much better in it and I knew if I went back to the other way of living I I would not be <laughs> the same me Melissa and and you know um, people see me as already optimistic and that's the thing with depression you know there's atypical depression where you think that you know people look happy on the outside and they look functional they're focused they they do a lot and they they're productive but you know atypical depression is also the fact that it may not look like someone's depressed, but you know, something else is still missing. They, they don't feel like um, they're best and they're, they end up getting less motivated and um, hopeless or they sleep too much. So I think some people um, see depression as one way um, and don't realize that there's multiple ways to view depression and anxiety. And so, you know, when I turned plant-based, um, my mood symptoms just <laughs> helped so much. I didn't have these weird depressive symptoms or was that jittery feel and so my IBS was definitely well controlled and managed and I didn't have to go on um, loads of medication so I'm thankful there um, so that's kind of my story and what how it all developed and you know just like you um, Dr. Riz and Maya going to conferences you just are immersed into a plant-based lifestyle and you live it and so um, and now I just do it um, at my clinic and Dr. Lifestyle Clinic with all my patients and so that's my focus. And this is my biggest mantra is that a healthy lifestyle is the first step in preventing and treating mood disorders. And so we know that there's a doubling of this pandemic of depression. It's really bad. We know during COVID, um, there's there's escalating rates of not just the death rates, but you know even obesity is worsening. Um, every two out of three people are just getting overweight, and it's just the all-time high. But also, depression has always been one of those sad things because it is the leading cause of disability and the second most common cause of death in 
15 to 17 year olds. So they're getting higher rates of suicide. Um, so you may all wonder, you know, is depression the norm? Some people get depressed because of life change, um, because of a transition to a new location or a change of job, or even after pregnancy, people get the, you know, postpartum blues or postpartum depression. And with depression, it's, it's actually pretty common, um, just like high blood pressure and diabetes, it's common, the prevalence is 20 to 25%. And about 75% of those who actually seek help, um, so they may think that they have depression, do first with their primary care doctors. So that's just how the medical system works, where, you know, just like you have a rash, the first person you see is your primary care doctor. But unfortunately, it's missed about 50% of the time. Um, and so that's a huge number to be missing. And you see your doctor over and over, and then 10 years, two years down the line, maybe we'll catch it. Um, and maybe because you're in this crisis, and you can't handle it. And maybe the patient just asks for medications, or can I see a counselor, but it takes a lot of bravery and courage courage and um, actually discernment to actually say, yeah, I'm depressed, I need help. And so I think it's our job as health professionals and family members and caretakers to recognize depression as much as we can. And so more than interesting fact, more than 50%, uh, more than half um, patients um, on antidepressants don't actually meet major depression disorder. So what does that mean? So when the, it's actually catch, they do all the screening um, through the PHQ-9 and you know they, they catch it, but sometimes they put them on, on antidepressants very quickly. They put them on and maybe it's not actually time for them to use it and maybe it's not the, um, the actual medication that's needed for them according to their symptoms. So just a, so you all know, um, the diagnosis of major depression disorder from the DSM-5 is definitely uh, symptoms of two weeks at least. So you need these symptoms for two weeks. It's not just one day, it's not just a couple of days, but two full weeks. And it's not because of maybe a loss of a one lo loved one, like normal bereavement, a grieving state. You can actually feel grief and that's normal um, when it's when you have prolonged grief, it's actually lasting uh, greater than six months. And so when we say two weeks of depressed mood or loss of pleasure, that's like a red flag to us. You want to ask more and you want to really um, look at other patterns such as sleep. Are you sleeping too much or too little? So I think of insomnia less, you know, less than four. Um, and I think of hypersomnia greater than 10. So just kind of look for that or someone who is sleeping um, throughout the day and just feeling unmotivated. And there's definitely a change in appetite and weight. Sometimes people are overeating or undereating. Their weight fluctuates. Sometimes they're too slow in their actions. Just they, you just notice that they're unable to complete tasks. Or other times they're just too restless and agitated that, that they can not perform as much as they want at school or at work or um, finishing house chores. And definitely there's a loss of energy, fatigue. Um, the thoughts are actually really something we always look at as psychologists, psychiatrists, um, I, you know, primary care doctors, counselors in general is looking at the thoughts. If there are true thoughts of self-blame, worthlessness, guilt, um, those are um, depressive thoughts. And so we always want to ask those questions and then difficulty concentration, um, not able to make decisions and the thoughts of death or suicide. So as you can see, these are, you know, 
you have four of these symptoms on top of the other symptoms, that's really the diagnosis of major depressive disorder. And when you look at this, it's, you know, sometimes you can have some of these symptoms because of another disease. So it's not like one, you know, you definitely need the help of a health professional to kind of bring it together, but at least you can have some clues of when to seek help if you have these symptoms. So just, uh, you might like this, Dr. Riz, because this is like the warning signs of just not only suicide, but a heart attack and what leads to it. Um, and so like the risk factors for heart attack, we see this often is tobacco use, obesity, high LDL, the lack of physical activity. But also, it, if you look at the suicide um, spectrum, you know, we, we know that heart attacks are life-threatening, but the, the things that become life-threatening with mood disorders um, are the suicide. So if there's prior suicide attempt, mood disorders, so anything of depression, anxiety, PTSD, schizo, bipolar, um, substance abuse, access to um, lethal, um, I would say like guns, for example, just access to anything harmful um, can increased um, near risk of suicide. Um, here are some protective factors, which we all love um, in the heart attack um, column, which is exercise, um, a really healthy diet, high HDL specifically, and better stress management. I think that's important for everyone. And the protective factors for suicide is really connectivity um, and really being able to have the mental health piece taken care of, um, having accessibility to that for a health professional, and then being able to cope well. And then some warning signs. So these are warning signs that we all just need to pay attention to if you have a heart attack, or something vascular or, or anything dangerous um, compared to someone who was about to commit suicide. So of course, heart attacks, chest pain, shortness of breath, cold sweats, nausea, lightheadedness, but suicide too. the things um, if there's any thoughts or, you know, someone makes comments about, oh, I want to hurt myself. I, I better wish I wasn't alive. I think you don't need me. I so all of these things um, are clues to, okay, let's, let's have you see a, a health professional and maybe even go to the ER. So seeking um, means to, you know, find uh, those lethal means um, are dangerous if they're feeling extra hopelessness, um, excessive, um, I would say it's not just crying and all that, but it's really um, detrimental to their mental health when they're in um, just a, a place where they can't even recoup. recoup uh, um, and then of course, when they're having more substance use, alcohol and drug use, that's a, a negative sign. And so when there's any time of you have those mood changes, it's so important because those are risks for suicide. And so just to give a quick overview, you may have heard this um, from your health professional or on television, like what are the, the drugs and the treatment to um, help treat major depression disorder? And we know that in both psychotherapy, so some type of counseling and antidepressants are definitely um, great ways to treat depression. And so that's your SSRIs, you may have heard of Zoloft and Prozac, Cymbalta too, Mirtazapine, Wellbutrin, these are all tools. And you know, I definitely acknowledge them. There are times when we really need them and they can really um, help us get out of crises. 
uh, I do want to share that the recovery state is important because some people think with medications, you take it once, you take it for six months and you're done. But really, the natural course and outcome of major depression disorder, um, you know, is that majority of patients won't recover um, until past that one year mark. And so we, we need to make sure that we take our antidepressants for a full year and sometimes a full year after that, depending on how many times you're relapsing. And the lack of recovery, you know, is really because um, they're having these somatic symptoms. What does that mean? You know, that they're actually getting palpitations, they're getting IBS like symptoms like um, diarrhea, they're feeling numbness and tingling, and they're feeling other sensations on top of their mood. So those are actually very um, challenging. But um, you know, I always say that when you think of mood and all the neurotransmitters and all that's involved, I always talk about prevention and management because all these hormones um, are and neurotransmitters are really the ones driving your health and they can be to the point where your diet can support these types of neurotransmitters. So um, let's talk about norepinephrine, serotonin, dopamine, glutamate, histamine, and epinephrine. So you see walnuts, right? <laughs> Those, that's like the shape of the brain. But you know, um, I'll talk about omega-3s in the brain. But these neurotransmitters are very key because they help with your sleep. Um, they help with your mood regulation, your, your executive functioning. So that means to make critical decisions in life, you need all these all these neurotransmitters, they are, serotonin is not just your happy hormone, but it's something that allows you to regulate your, your mood and, and also to the point of your energy levels and dopamine, we know that that's kind of your reward um, center. And so there's studies that you, people who um, don't cope well, um, who have low dopamine are actually those are the ones that are using substances, um, unhealthy substances like tobacco and alcohol. So we, we have to be careful. Um, and then histamines, people think of histamines as always a, an allergy um, type of um, neurotransmitter, but really it's, it's not just that, it's a signal that regulates also your mood. Um, and then epinephrine, of course, that's, that's another complex um, neurotransmitter that we, we also need to help with our, our sensation and feelings of um, pleasure and reward. Um, and this is another, you know me, I, I'm, I love to talk a little bit about the science. So I, I want to emphasize the brain D. So it's the brain derived neurotrophic factor. And this is the fun one, because this is really found in our brain, but we find that blueberries, soy, nuts and seeds, cocoa, um, can really help increase that and you want that because if those who have low BDNF are those who suffer from depression and anxiety bipolar skits so um, GABA and mode um, those are other key players and so as you can see there's definitely traditional types of antidepressants and there's way to dose them but um, I would say that as I mentioned before, it's it's about not only how you're using these medications and the recovery time, but paying attention to the foods that you're eating. Some people um, try to find supplements, you know, and try to find ways to 
some support their health. And, you know, there are some safe supplements, and there are other supplements that are harmful. So I'm just going to kind of cue you in into what the literature is saying, but also um, give you a, a sense of caution too when to use this because St. John's wort, you'll see it over in, in maybe in your in your drugstores as helping for mild and moderate depression. But really, we got, um, you know, it is comparable. Um, there are, what I would say that it's helpful in some studies that, but there's, we got to be careful because these things um, are, are, are actually have um, detrimental side effects. Um, we have to be careful because there's a lot of drug drug interactions. There's GI discomfort that interacts with warfare. And, and so I actually don't necessarily recommend St. Um, John's Wars um, because it's just, there's so much that you have to really look at with your medication list. So I always caution people, whenever you're taking supplements, ask your doctor, make sure that you're, you're not just taking it as what the bottle says, but what the doctor and a health professional can guide you with. Um, there's inconclusive data on, on other, I would say, supplements um, on saffron. Lavender, though, um, the more I study it, you people take it through um, either essential oils or capsules. There's different ways to use it, but it, the side effects profile is actually very, very benign. But once again, it's good to have a health professional guide you through this. Um, SAMe is a natural curling molecule in the liver and brain. And so that helps, um, you know, support dopamine and serotonin. And that's also shown to support the, uh, you know, uh, your efficacy here and tolerability. So that's basically what I like about this. It's, it's more, um, it's kind of the precursor to help with dopamine and serotonin, just like tryptophan and tyrosine, which I'll talk about. So it's a, a relatively safer one. Um, omega-3 is, I would say, big in brain health, not just in dementia and Alzheimer's disease, but really there's many studies that are so showing that if you have low omega-3 and your DHA um, and your EPA are low, that means you have higher risk for all these other mood disorders. So I would be um, mindful of where to find your omega-3. Definitely you want to find it in your flax seeds and your chia seeds. Um, we're big fans of that and sesame seeds. And to say that we also have to know <clears throat> that the if you look at the omega-3 studies, um, I, look, I actually just read a study about the basically the conversion of ALA. So there's three types of omega-3. There's your DHA, your EPA, and your ALA. And your ALA, you want to just make sure you're getting that from plant-based um, sources. ALA is actually very volatile. It's easily oxidized. So we want to make sure we have enough of it. But because of the standard American diet, our omega-3 um, is actually really low. And your the omega-6 found in pro-inflammatory foods such as animal-based foods and dairy, um, it, omega-6 is so high. And it's actually been the highest ever um, where it's 40 to about one. Before, um, when people were eating more plant-based, that ratio is down really low to about three to one or four to one. And so I, I like to emphasize omega-3 in my patients through plant-based eating. Um, B12. Um, so the B, all the B vitamins are essential for brain health and mental health. Um, because not only we're thinking, yes, it supports our nerves and avoids um, and issues of para, 
um, paresthesias. But, you know, when you think of B12, um, we know that we can find them in your non-dairy milks. Um, you can find them. Um, actually, I, I like to have it in yeast, two teaspoons. Sometimes you actually need a, a supplement. Um, and B12 is once again, these are all cofactors, you know, B12, thiamine, magnesium, zinc, I'll be talking about that. They're all cofactors in your metabolism when it comes to um, converting all these all these neurotransmitters and hormones in your brain. So um, the best way to find it is from whole foods, plant-based. And that's why folate is found very much so in plant-based eating. And so there's a predictor of antidepressant medications response. And really that's awesome because, you know, the more folate you have, the more likely your, your body is able to respond to the antidepressant medication. And so there's been a study that low folate blood levels have been associated with a lack of response and a slower response to an SSRI, meaning an antidepressant such as fluoxetine. So we need, even if we're taking antidepressant medications, we need to make sure that we're eating enough of our healthy nutrients and vitamins from plant-based sources. And so what are some folate rich plants? Um, definitely they're greens, beans, and oranges. Um, you can make meals out of these. Um, almonds, asparagus, avocados, beets, cashews, um, fortified cereals, kelp, kiwi, legumes, um, mung beans. I'm listing all of it, but literally um, when I think of folate rich, it's easy to say greens, beans, and seeds. So it's, it's really simple to get your folates um, because you're, if you're eating more plant-based foods, but I would say if you look at the studies, many people are not getting enough folate because um, they're eating more of the standardized American foods. Um, and uh, here again, I talked about um, omega-3s in the previous slide, but I want to remind you that this is um, in the ALA form and the seeds that I spoke about was flax, chia, and hemp. Nuts definitely are your walnuts, soybeans, edamame, kidney beans, Brussels sprouts, um, wild rice, and people don't know this a lot, but firm tofu has a lot of omega-3. So don't forget that um, your Brussels sprouts and omega-3s can be found in your tofu as well. So flavonoids. So flavonoids is another word for phytonutrients, but specifically something that has to do with polyphenols. Um, it's found in fruits, vegetables, tea. People like this, um, coffee and cocoa, but you know, I, I'm, a, I'm sensitive to caffeine. So I, I say, you know, cocoa for me. Um, possible benefits of flavonoids is because of the cognition effects. It increases cerebral blood flow. It protects against these neuronal stress um, because of the anti-inflammatory um, factors that can happen if you're eating animal products, you want to, you want a strong, um, resilient brain. Um, so, you know, keep eating those plant-based flavonoids, and then it also stimulates the BDNF. And so flavonoids is basically what helps, um, take away all those free radicals and serves as an antioxidant. So when you go to the produce store, as you see here, um, tons of different colors, fruits and vegetables. When I think of mental health, I think flavonoids too as well. So not just omega-3 or your B vitamins, but also your flavonoids. Um, magnesium has been getting a lot of attention now, not just because it helps with constipation and muscle aches, but also because it does support your mood. Um, if you look, there are studies that say you, 
here, depression was very rare hundreds of years ago um, because um, there was um, people are actually getting more magnesium from their plants and they had lower rates of depression and anxiety. And really studies have shown magnesium has helped to improve sleep, decrease frequency of headaches, um, lessen anxiety and, and depression. And so um, a nice study here down in 2013 is that vegans, plant-based eaters had more magnesium than those who were not eating enough plants, so non-vegetarians. And so if you're eating plant-based, you're actually getting enough magnesium. Zinc is another one that's getting a lot of attention um, during the immune health and COVID. Um, and I would say it's not just help, you know, it can support your immune system, but more so it's a, a micronutrient found in plants once again. Um, and in their studies that show that low serum zinc predisposes people to treatment resistant depression. So what does that mean? There's some patients who are literally taking um, one, two, three, four, tried 10 different um, antidepressants. And sometimes it's because the root cause has not been addressed, which is they're not eating healthy, and they're not eating enough plants. And so um, zinc, a lack of zinc um, can be a clue. And so there's another study that the repletion when you start to give zinc, and you can add your antidepressant, um, it does help. It's a good extra add on, um, I would say supplement, but more so it's based on what you're eating. And I, I always like to give advice carefully once again about the supplements. It's there, it's a tool there, but never to the point where it's lifelong, especially when you're not checking levels. And so um, curcumin, this is a fun one because it's a spice, right? Spices are not just anti-inflammatory, but they help support our mood. So a recent study that is randomized, double-blind placebo-controlled study. That's a fancy term, but we try to say these studies are the ones that we can um, learn a lot from and trust um, and say that, you know, showed a highly absorbed form of curcumin. So 500 milligrams twice a day was actually shown to be effective for treating major depression after eight weeks of use. And so I, you know, when I think about plant-based eating and supplements, like these are people who I who have mild depression and mild anxiety. If they're going towards moderate and severe, then I'm thinking about maybe placing medications along with these other therapies. Um, but there are times when I'm telling you, when people eat plant-based and are exercising regularly, they see tremendous change. And really curcumin here, as you can see, can be as effective as Prozac. Um, and it really, we have to be mindful um, of our absorption. Of course, if you have IBD or celiac or some type of um, absorption um, difficulties, that dosing can change, but curcumin is powerful. And um, here is um, an interesting study. Um, I wanted to just show you, you may think, wow, what's going on with this slide and, you know, population observable studies, depending how you look at the studies, you may see um, that, you know, there's higher occurrences in depression disorder in vegetarian compared to non-vegetarian. What does that mean? Like, and you may hear this from other um, professionals and experts in nutrition, um, but then they'll do another study and, and do another cross-sectional study with these same studies, and then they'll say, oh, about 80% of women found a beneficial association between vegan diet and mood disturbance. And I would say just, you know, when you look at the studies, just to be 
careful and to get the, of course, we're your scientific community and we're trying to really share with you the patterns, right? And how things are. And one, I would say one micronutrient doesn't necessarily solve one thing. It's really the collection, the patterns of people's behaviors. Um, you know, one zinc supplement is not gonna necessarily take away depression, anxiety. It's really all the plant-based foods that you're taking because if you're only taking zinc, you still need the other type of antioxidants and you know the fiber is still very very good and you still need exercise and sleep it's never one thing that fixes everything so um, there's definitely a brain biome connection and we've seen this um, at the microbiome level and showing that there are um, about 90 percent of serotonin um, in your gut. Um, that's huge. So your happy hormones are in your gut. 50% um, of your dopamine are also essential for your mood and energy levels. Um, motivation and sense of reward are produced in your guts. Your gut, what you eat um, every day, every meal is extremely important. And so you know, we want to be sure that we're protecting this um, microbiome, which is also where your immune system sits. Um, with plant-based nutrition, I want to encourage you, look at the studies from 2000 to 2018. They've just grown from any, before they were less than 50, and now um, there's near 400, um, over 400 of plant-based vegetarian vegan diets um, in how they're trying to study that and how it's really shown to promote health. So the research and the science is there, and we know, we all see it in our, in our patients, in our day-to-day. It, it, that it works. And then here's fiber. Um, once again, there is definitely an overlap between IBS, depressed mood and anxiety, just like my story, just like, I would say, 80 to 90% of my patients have either anxiety or depression, it's just so prevalent. And then they add um, another component where their gut, they've been living with IBS for years, or um, they even have functional, what we call functional is they have these GERD like symptoms, bloating, diarrhea, and there it's not because necessarily because of a true, I would say chemical you know, disorder where we can necessarily fix, but it's because of what they're eating and because they're not able to um, cope healthy. Um, so when you think about this, there is definitely um, an damage to the gut microbiome um, and then the serotonin balances um, altered. Um, and then also the gut motility is impaired when you don't have enough fiber. So we need fiber to stabilize our entire gut and our mood. And of course, we know fiber is awesome because we get those short chain fatty acids that really decreases our inflammatory cascades. And then this is beautiful, our monounsaturated and polysaturated plant fat. So that also supports our brain because that's um, where we get all our our, our brain mass from our gray and white matter there. Um, so how much walnuts do we need to eat? Um, I would say 43 grams of walnuts is great. Um, that promotes the short chain fatty acids and particularly it's butyric acid and the probiotic component. So 43 grams, that's a good number. Some people love numbers. So that's why I gave that. Uh, and sulfurane. Um, so that's, we love it in our Christmas vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, arugula, kale, cabbage. So I'm sure you can imagine these meals, um, but really it's nice that it showed to improve mood. And here we, we know once again that TMAO is 
it's nothing to ignore. I think it's there's more and more work done since this is a study in 2013. Now we're in 2021, and we can still say that these are TMAs found in animal products and dairy products and really disrupt our microbiome and increase our rates for diabetes, stroke, heart attack. But um, these are the things that also cross the brain, um, blood brain barrier. And if they go to our brain, you know, it's, they're actually going to start creating problems with our arteries in our brain and lead to dementia issues. So we have to be very careful. Um, here's processed food. Um, this is my previous diet, right? You don't see anything green here. You think, see everything that's extremely processed, nothing that you can find um, in, in the farm or in your garden. It's, and so we already know that the processed foods um, really disrupts the microbiome, increases our risk for depression, Arachnoid acid is one of those. It's a pro-inflammatory compound found in animal products that adverse that really adversely impacts mental health. So it's here you go seeing the same theme over and over. And it's sad because arachnoid acid is found in the Western American diet through animal products, cheese, um, egg, and also um, cow's milk. And really that's what makes us susceptible to depression and anxiety. And our top five sources of arachnic acid are eggs, chicken, beef, pork, and fish. And, you know, sadly, uh, omnivores tend to consume nine times more of arachnic acid compared to plant-based eaters. So that's high. Um, and then once again, just one egg uh, increases this arachnic acid and it can raise your all of these dangerous levels. And once again, it goes into your brain. It crosses the blood brain barrier. And so in medical training, we've learned about the cheese effect. <laughs> and that's a tyramine substance found in cured meats, fermented foods, and, and once again, cheese. But this can actually um, worsen our blood pressure, so cause a hypertensive crisis and potentially hemorrhage. And we want to just know that um, the more cheese, but also more so if you're taking it with other um, antidepressants, we have to be careful. Um, however, um, you want to know that the same antidepressant medication that we recommend is doctors is a, a mal-inhibiting um, medication. You could actually find that naturally in foods um, such as apples, berries, grapes, onions, green tea, cloves, oregano, cinnamon, and nutmeg. And these are safe. So the, you can actually find these properties in plant-based foods. And tryptophan, and that's what I spoke about earlier. It's our essential amino acid that crosses the blood-brain barrier. But really, the, it, what it gets converted to is your serotonin. And so um, we just want to make sure that um, we are eating healthy amounts of tryptophan and tyrosine. But you don't want to eat the unhealthy version, which is listed here, is turkey, eggs, and cheese. The healthy version of tryptophan and tyrosine are sesame seeds, sunflower seeds, and pumpkin. And um, there's an interesting study of using butternut squash seeds that social anxiety disorder reported a significant improvement in anxiety within just one hour of consumption. So I thought that was interesting. 
And once again, here is our, you know, we all kind of live and breathe lifestyle medicine. And so we need all components. We need to make sure that we're moving routinely. We are managing our stress. We're quitting tobacco and risky substance use, um, getting adequate sleep um, because this, and also maintaining healthy relationships because this is our foundation for our mood, um, our foundation for health. And so um, I want to remind you too, that we all need sunlight. So bright light therapy, sunshine is really effective for seasonal affective disorder, but also major just depression. And it really has implemented to the point where you can have better response um, to your antidepressant when you're getting enough sunshine, it can quicken the response. And it's really nice because it can help um, your sleep too and regulate your sleep. So I always recommend getting sleep first thing in the morning for at least 30 minutes. And just like um, your exercise, if you can do it first thing in the morning, it's great. And to the note of exercise, those who just don't move enough, um, we know that the studies are consistently showing that you have higher rates of depression. And we, we want to be careful because um, we, we know that exercise is important for our metabolic health, for such things as obesity, diabetes, high cholesterol, but it's very important for mood as well. And so it actually helps our gut microbiome and gut brain access. And going back to exercise, there are studies too that show that 30 minutes of exercise is equivalent to um, an antidepressant. So I just say, you know, when you're exercising, you're also preventing the use of um, being dependent on an antidepressant if you if you are to that point. So I encourage you, you to use exercise as medicine as much as you can. And stress management is key. Um, you know, there's unhealthy stress and healthy stress. There's the healthy stress that allows you to, to stay on task, to meet deadlines, to be motivated. Um, but there's the unhealthy stress that causes you to to really be to the point where everything is a fight or flight component. You're super anxious. You feel like the world is ending. You feel like you can't go on. And I say, find that sweet spot. And I think we all can take a moment to find that sweet spot and understand what that is. It's hard. I, I understand. Um, but really trying to um, be mindful of how we respond to our environment, how we're thinking. Is it all negative? Is it positive? Is it something something that we can um, actually use as a tool to get by our day. Um, so thoughts, feelings, those are all real. And we need to also address that um, and better our stress management tools. Um, I always talk about substance use because it's just something that people are becoming more dependent on during the pandemic because we unfortunately are, are not knowing how to cope. Um, we tend to find something that um, brings us that pleasure or, or that motivation or calms us or, or we, helps us with energy and it becomes this addiction triangle and that's because there's either a physical dependence because we just are used to something in our hand, um, if it's a cigarette, um, or it's a habit because we always pair it with something either going outside or with our coffee, or it's an emotional um, habit because we need it to cope with our depression, anxiety. So in these comp cases, I always say it's find the support of a 
a loved one, a health professional to break those addiction cycles. Um, it's not easy, but it can be overcome once we get to the root cause of the behaviors and, and really finding out the whys. And, and of course, there's tools how to overcome that. And the purpose, motivation, and wholeness um, is it really important. Um, I think that drives our why and why, why do we want to live? Why do we want to stay motivated? And if you can visualize that, if you can thank those people around you, if you can um, do something really kind, it can really help your resilience. It can help you overcome what you're doing. And so this is just my why, obviously, um, um, us in the kitchen, um, my family, uh, I would show them, but <laughs> it's mainly um, here, outdoors and, and being connected. So um, these are just um, a quick list of side effects of antidepressants, not to scare you from antidepressants, but to just show you that um, there are things that we need to be mindful of and to show that, yes, if you're having issues with headaches or insomnia, um, you, you just need to tell your health provider. Um, so walk with your health provider to talk to them, to actually identify is it a side effect or is it just my mood and and then you know I put here watch for discontinuation syndrome because if you stop it without guidance of a health professional your anxiety and depression or your bipolar can actually get worse especially if you stop it too quickly and so here is just what's the hearing now. Um, we are definitely find, looking for ways to um, support people with mental health issues. Um, we want to be able to identify it, but also to take away the stigma around it um, because people go undiagnosed or untreated, not necessarily because it's the fault of the health professional or the healthcare system, which yeah, we can all point fingers there. But I would say too, is, is it's just we're, we're scared to talk about it. Um, it's not necessarily accepted in our culture. But I'm glad now more than ever, we're becoming more um, I would say aware, but also wanting to know that um, if there is a, not just a plan, but there's solutions um, to getting better um, when it comes to mental health. And antidepressants, I just want to re remind you, it works well for about only 50%. Um, so those are high numbers because depression and anxiety, finding how um, what and what what causes it it's actually not as clear-cut like diabetes and high cholesterol where you can find labs and you can track numbers so it's very complex and so um, sometimes antidepressants don't work that's why it's so so important for you to live a healthy lifestyle because we know that that can support it and that works just to encourage people how much to eat seven fruits a day and eight vegetables a day can help your your mental health and bottom line, um, our favorite is just plant-based eating and getting the support of your um, your fellow friends, your community to do this. Um, you're not alone when you're trying to transition. Well, thank you very much. Um, I enjoyed that. Uh, and I think uh, you wrote, you really broke it down very nicely, but there's a pretty simple message, which is a, uh, you know, a healthy lifestyle uh, can prevent mood disorders, but a healthy lifestyle can also help treat them. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I find it fascinating, like, you know, that relationship between the gut and the brain, a large portion of serotonin and do dopamine being in our gut are affected by what we eat or by what we don't eat. 
like if we're not incorporating the healthy foods and the fiber and all of that, then our chemicals kind of change and then bring on some mood swings and things like that. I like the way you broke it down and showed uh, so many of these things that we talk about, the, uh, the vitamins, the minerals, the, uh, the phytonutrients, the things that are in these foods uh, have a, a significant um, and meaningful impact on, uh, on our mood. And also, and on how, you know, if you have to be on an antidepressant, which, you know, we're not saying you don't ever take them right, uh, but if you need to be on one, it makes them more effective. Uh, and I never realized that uh, antidepressants uh, can be less effective if you don't have the right minerals uh, in your body. So I, I, I like that. Right. Me too. That was a new one for me. I like also how you talked about um, that one of the biggest components is lack of connectivity, which a lot of us now lack in terms of physical touch and physical presence with loved ones. Um, that's a little bit tricky to handle right now. Do you have any kind of recommendations on bringing connectivity back? Yeah, you know, it's so important because now we're either dependent on technology and texting and sending pictures and emojis. And, you know, that's, you know, that can help. And that feels um, a sense where we can feel closer. But, you know, seeing this, like having um, these eye to eye, I would say gestures, and we can have feedback here virtually. Um, I think it's important to have an organic conversation here and and being you know that's I think it's a challenge but definitely having a phone call with a, uh, helps hearing a, an actual voice on the other line um, frequently just as we say eating um, three days of, you know some people do it three times a day but having constant conversations with our friends and family um, we need those doses too. We don't want to wait a whole week without talking to anybody. <laughs> right, definitely. And Dr. Melissa, I think I read in the Lifestyle Medicine um, Handbook that spending a few minutes just looking directly into the eyes of a, say, a furry friend can actually raise dopamine levels. So yeah, I mean, uh, in fact, I'd like to hear more about your thoughts on, you know, what we noticed, uh, you know, we would go for our daily walks throughout this whole uh, pandemic. Uh, is we just started to see a lot more people with puppies and dogs. Yes. And so I think there was a, a, a and in fact, I had heard that uh, a lot of the adoption agencies were out of animals. So there was people adopting animals like crazy. You, you have any thoughts about animals and, and their role in, in mental health? Absolutely. So support dogs or support furry animals are, are, you know, our friends, there are studies like, for example, people love a physical hug from a person, but you can just touching a pet too can do the same difference. And that's why they go into hospitals and clinics to visit people. Um, and I, right after their stroke, I, I actually put in a consult for pet therapy because it's one of those things um, that elevates our mood. Nice, nice. I like that. So I wanted to ask, we, you know, getting back to a little bit about the, uh, the zinc, magnesium, all these other things, the folate, or even GABA, you know, the, uh, things that are important to have for mental health people might ask, well, can't I just take the supplement over the counter? Uh, and how would you address that versus, you know, what we push as the eating the whole foods? Yeah, exactly. Some people are just saying, well, let me just take my zinc, magnesium, omega-3. And, and really it's, it's in that small, they try to hyper concentrate it in one pill, but really you want all those nutrients attached to everything else, which can be found in a plant-based 
foods and a whole food, an actual food or vegetable. And because you know, you have your fiber and everything else, when it's when it's complex and found in nature, it's whole and safe. Um, with the other supplements, you know, I, I like to, it's a complex, I would say conversation, because each supplement um you have to really know how much you're taking and some patients still they're eat, they're plant-based or vegan but all they eat are the processed versions and so you actually notice that they're not if you take them to a registered dietitian and you calculate everything they're not getting the adequate needs um and so that's where we still have to do a lot of education it's good to say yes whole food plant-based but um is the best but also are you getting enough of it and so even a little bit of omega-3 that's plant-based or a little bit of magnesium can help there is a place for that if people aren't actually taking enough of it yeah well and you know, when I when people ask me, say, for example, about supplementing for DHA and EPA, I'll say, well, don't take a pill. Uh, just incorporate more uh, ground flaxseed into your diet. Incorporate more walnuts or incorporate more chia seeds and hemp uh, because you are taking it in the natural manner uh, and your body will know how to manage that as opposed to just taking a pill where, uh, you know, you're just focusing and concentrating on EPA and DHA. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm, we're supplementing, but we're supplementing with whole foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. As long as you're putting it um, in your dishes uh, every day, some people realize, oh, I didn't eat fox seeds for a week or a month. They're like, okay, well, there you go. <laughs> Start to do that regularly and then you'll get enough. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, I'm real proud of myself because when you were listing all those foods that had healthy stuff, I okay, I think I ate about eight or nine of those in the last day. So, uh, but I, I realize there's a few more that I can work on. Yeah, who'd yeah. have ever thought? And we have noticed, and we say it over and over again, that when we when we went plant based, we naturally felt calmer. So we're just a little bit more easygoing because of the diet. I guess all the nutrients and mood enhancing foods that we're taking in. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. Are are you aware of any studies that are uh, going on right now as far as looking at how a whole food plant based diet affects mood in general or in the treatment of depression or mood disorders? Yeah, I so that's where I'm like always trying to look for that too. Um, I know there's some PhDs that are looking more at like micronutrients. Some of them are looking at patterns. Um, and and I've been following her for quite some time. And I think just like everything in science, we it's good to have more and we and we need to see find um collective data to do it so I can't name a, like the the new ones on top of my head I've just kind of looked and kind of see what I found was in this PowerPoint but I know there's more digging to do and that's why I'm actually for ACLM and I'm, I'm contributing to the lifestyle medicine residency curriculum course and there's a mental health depression anxiety and so I'm going to be really looking at the data even more so I'll let you know <laughs> to be <wonderful>. continued yeah <laughs> Some patients are not diagnosed um, because that's not, say, a priority when they're coming in for other health conditions. And then you said you yourself have seen that a great number of your patients suffer from depression. So what is the first step when you do diagnose an individual? Um, I guess you start with medication and then do you move on then to the lifestyle uh, recommendations? Yeah, no, thank you. I see the two questions there. And basically, yes, it's it's not commonly diagnosed because um, it is required as physicians that we at least screen it once a year. But what if you do it once a year, but you miss 
<laughs> those other months in between. And so you're not necessarily capturing it at the right time where they're truly depressed and anxious. So that's why you're um, kind of missing that window. Uh, another thing is that definitely with depression, anxiety, it's some, a lot of, I would say us physicians, you know, we, we do our best to talk about it, but 15 minute visits aren't enough <laughs> to capture it, um, unfortunately. And so that's why I did my own private practice. So, okay, I'm going to spend an, a, an hour so I can capture these. Um, but I would say the the method I always do is in terms of behavioral counseling is number one, like counseling, getting healthier coping mechanisms, treating the distortive thoughts and feelings that happen over time. Um, and alongside lifestyle, I, it's life, lifestyle from beginning to end. So it's not like I skip it at all. Um, definitely medications, I do more for moderate and severe, sometimes only severe, um, but the moderate cases can also get better just through lifestyle. I'm thinking of our listeners as well when I ask this question, but what about like, for example, if some of our listeners can't afford that additional cost for say counseling or kind of group therapy, can you first talk about how effective group therapy can be? And do you have access for your own patients where you send them if you do see that they're suffering safe? from depression? No, I love that question. So there's many studies now with multidisciplinary group studies, group therapy specifically are what helps people get out of their mental health crises or even um, with other chronic diseases. So it takes a team and it, group therapy is so essential because it's frequent visits. There's studies at eight weeks of that to up to 12 weeks um, can be really helpful for consistency, not just because it builds healthy habits. We think of healthy habits like night, 90 days to 120 days, there's a range there, but group therapy is nice and focused and concentrated, just like AA programs. And so group therapy is a huge thing. I do classes too. Um, I do it either just me or I actually have a registered dietitian. I bring on a yoga and sacral cr cranial therapist on board. And so the more tools you have in this group therapy session can really help patients cope and bring practical tools. Um, sometimes it is covered by insurance, depending on what clinic they're in, if they're at the VA or other types of settings, sometimes they're not. Um, if they're not, then, um, you know, AA is definitely free. <laughs> There's also for narcotics, um, for mental health, um, there are some centers that pre provide group therapy um, throughout the nation. I know some uh, just locally here that provide it virtually during the pandemic time. Um, but I have Facebook groups. <laughs> like, <Yes>. Literally, that's, <laughs> that's the free way to do it. There's Facebook groups, support groups. Like my husband, Micah, there's like the lupus organization and they have groups that get them together and they all cope that way. I have patients in anxiety support groups virtually and they all talk about their conditions, sharing recipes and how they're dealing with medications. And that's really powerful too. It sure is. So you did start off by saying that the prevention is key. And I often wonder what has to take place for someone to then fall, say, into depression. I myself have been trying to pay more attention to my own self in terms of self-care. So I'm, I'm putting a list of things, you know, meditation, yoga, exercise, just trying to, I guess those are coping mechanisms, but trying to find a way to keep myself because I can suffer from anxiety. So again, I'm thinking uh, our listeners can probably benefit from just working on the preventative end of self-care. What do you think? 
A hundred percent. Thank you so much for that question. I have people who are either completely healthy or people in severe anxiety and are people who are right about to get their procedure and they're super anxious. But all of that can be helped by deep breathing. Literally study after study, either they go to the dentist or pre or post-op, like the breath and meditation work is so important. So deep breathing is what I teach every patient, you know, inhale, for four seconds, hold for four and exhale for four. And you just kind of do this um, throughout your day. Be pr- and literally it can subside all the anxiety in the chest and the stomach. So deep breathing is something I do for patients and with patients three, four, five times a day. Um, you know, I think it has to be um, carved out of your time um, to have your breath work, listening to nature sounds, spend time in meditation. And you know, it's easy to say, it's not easy mm-hmm. to do. Right. <laughs> uh, so literally um, putting yourself and I'm working on that too, is like, I, I, for me, I've been just going to the beach more because it's the only thing where oh, I'm yeah. out of my office. <laughs> so <And> lucky. <laughs> out of technology, I'll leave my cell phone in the car or turn it off and just sit there and listen to waves to like, unplug. And we need that. Um, and I think that's the wake up call. Like COVID is like, we just need to unplug from all these stimulation in our body and in our, or in our world. So um, meditation, mindfulness, obviously, is good. Um, and just that self care is really writing down your thoughts and your feelings um, when you need it. And acu- you know, I'm, I'm studying acupuncture, too, meaning like, I, I read a lot about books, and I'm talking to acupuncturists, too. So like, these are things that can help open up the, the, the I would say, <laughs> energy blockages that we can feel. And so I, I'm just, I think we have to be open and and when we do, our our way of healing can come um, through many ways. And so I, I encourage it if it's like you look, you both look all um, groomed and well. <laughs> I, I, this is this is something I do um, to look forward to. So it's it's just nice to kind of take care of ourselves and keep ourselves going. <laughs> That's right, and have compassion for ourselves because we. When we get moody, the first person we take it out on is ourselves, really, internally, that is, with that inner voice that's like, yeah, you're not doing enough or whatever, that self-criticism. But I love what you're doing with uh, your lifestyle medicine practice. Uh, Just quick question about that is, do you actually have a physical uh, clinic now, um, your lifestyle medicine center? Yeah, we do. It's it's nice. It's um, in in Newport Beach, my husband and I, so it's like, it's just, you know, three rooms that's all we need but it's because mm-hmm. most of our work is done through telemedicine Micah has 15 state licenses I have three and I'm just going to keep getting more licenses um and he, you know he has Texas I, I I'm working on Texas I have to, <laughs> to take an exam <laughs> to do that um and so yes we do group classes that are virtual um and it's just been a joy um, to do that. You can definitely learn about us more on our website. Share that information. And also, if our listeners are interested in joining your virtual classes, can they do so as well? Yeah, thank you. So um, my website is drlifestyle.org. And you can sign up there to be a new patient or just to even attend our classes. And they're very educational, but very experiential. So you get to do activities there and 
we have a health and wellness class coming up in May. So stay tuned. And then we also have these group therapy sessions starting in two weeks where every week we get to spend time with a registered dietitian, uh, yoga and meditation expert. She's an instructor and then I'll be there for Q&A. And so this is just um, a way we can reach out to our community. So yes, please find us. We're also on social media. My handles are melissamandala.md on Instagram and then also on Facebook and TikTok. I'm trying that out too. Oh yes, that's right. We've been seeing so much of your activities, everything from cooking demos to TikTok videos. You guys are so much fun. So you're a motivation for sure. Thank you. Thank you for spending this time with me. I want to thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll have you back sometime for an update and, on uh, those future studies and things we talked That's about. That's right. Thank you. Take All care. Bye-bye. So that was a wonderful conversation that we had with Dr. Mandala. Dr. Riz and I always enjoy catching up with her and we just admire all the dedication that she has put into really being an awesome physician, um, going back for another fellowship in psychiatry and now studying acupuncture. Really, this is what we want in our physicians. So it's just so much hope that she gives us and so much inspiration. Leave me a comment and let me know what you think. You can always email me a comment at plantbasedmaya at gmail.com. And as always, thank you so much for being a listener. You've been listening to the Plant-Based DFW podcast show. If you like our content, please like, share, and leave a review. Our goal is to provide quality episodes to help support the community.